So uh, it is, of course, Labor Day weekend, which means summer is basically over. Um, out of all the holidays uh, that are on the calendar, Labor Day is the least familiar one to me. I know that you get a day off of work on a Monday. Like that was pretty much all I knew. Maybe you're in the same boat. Um, so I took some time this weekend to research what exactly Labor Day is and why we should be doing it. Um, and so I thought I'd share some of that with you. Um, Labor Day um, was something that came about from the, the labor um, union movement from the 19th century. So 130 years ago, um, a labor union in New York City pushed the city of, to New, a city of New York to declare a special day to celebrate the American worker. And so they pushed and they pushed and they pushed and the city finally relented and New York said, okay, we will have a city-wide Labor Day and workers got a day off and there was a celebration and all that fun stuff. And eventually other cities started doing the same thing. The, the movement caught on and eventually states were doing the same thing. And then eventually it was nationally declared that there would be this annual thing called the Labor Day. Um, and so Labor Day at its core is really a celebration of the American worker. It's a celebration of hard work. Um, and a lot of us, I think, resonate with the hard work thing. Like it's a high priority. It's a value for us that we are hard workers. Being known as a hard worker is perhaps one of the better compliments we can get, right? If they say, you are a hard worker, we're like, amen, brother. I am. It's exactly right. Um, it was something that actually I noticed when my family and I moved here four years ago um, that we hadn't noticed um, in the Midwest where we came from. And that is the first uh, several funerals that I went to in, in Idaho. Um, what I thought was really interesting was the family would come up to speak about their loved one who had passed away. And it was a common refrain for pretty much every single funeral that I went to. There'd be a moment, and usually it was one of the first things that was said about their loved one, the person that had passed, and that was my loved one. Man, he was a hard worker. Like, he knew how to work. He had a strong work ethic, is what would get said. Dad knew how to work. Mom was a hard worker. Mom taught me what an ethic of hard work looks like, and I'm thankful for mom or dad for that. Like, it's one of the most important aspects of our loved one. It's really interesting because in other funerals in other parts of the country, that kind of thing actually doesn't get said that often. Having a reputation of being a hard worker is a big deal for us. Now, the Bible actually agrees with this in a gazillion different ways. Hard work matters, and the scriptures talk about this. Um, in fact, just in the Proverbs alone, there's several places in the Proverbs that talk about work and working hard. Um, Proverbs 12, verse 24 says, Diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in forced labor. And the church said, Amen, right? Um, and Proverbs 14, 23 says, All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. A good work ethic, hard work matters in the scriptures. What's interesting, though, is that throughout the story of the Bible, the whole thing from beginning to end, um, less is said about hard work and a lot more is actually said about the opposite of hard work, which would be rest. Rest is a major theme in the scriptures. The Bible talks unrelentingly about rest, which I think is actually kind of countercultural for us. I don't know that we think that resting um, is like a good thing to do, right? Like, um, being known as a good rester. I'm not sure that's a positive 
character trait for many of us. Like, you rest really well. You're good at it. You know, that's not a positive thing. And when people ask us how our life is, we say we're busy, which signals we're doing things. Like we are on the move all the time. We're doing this and that and this and that. We're working really hard, right? But if someone came to you and said, hey, um, how's life these days? And you said, you know, I'm just resting really well right now. Like that's weird to us, isn't it? It's uncomfortable. Maybe it's even a little embarrassing for us. I mean, imagine if you went to a funeral and you're at this funeral and um, the family of the loved one comes up and the first words out of their mouth about their loved one is, you know, my dad knew how to just rest. He could just sit in the lazy boy for hours. Like his imprint's still there, you know? We might think negatively of that dad. Like, what kind of role model are you, right? Resting, it's not exactly a positive trait for us. But the Bible has a ton to say about rest. If you think about it, Labor Day, this is what I love about Labor Day. Labor Day is a day where we celebrate work, and you know how we celebrate it? By not doing that, by not working, by resting. And so I think it's a great day to talk about rest. And so that's what we're going to do. Our scripture reading this morning is found in the book of Deuteronomy. If you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to open up to there. It's Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. Open with me. Um, our scripture reader this morning is uh, Sid Perry. Sid, when you're ready, you can head on up to read for us. In church, what we do, if you're able to, is we stand. We face the center of the room where the scriptures are read, and, and we do so because the Bible is to be central to our lives. It's a great reminder of that. So, Sid, when you're ready, take it away. Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Thank you, Sid. You all may be seated. Uh, Just keep your Bibles open there if you're able to. We'll be revisiting Deuteronomy here real soon. Um, Our scripture reading this morning is the other place in the Bible where the Ten Commandments are found. I don't know if you knew this, but there's two different places where the Ten Commandments are listed. Uh, Most of us, when we think Ten Commandments, we think of the book of Exodus, Exodus 20 to be specific. In Exodus 20, you have Moses and Mount Sinai and the two tablets and all that kind of stuff. Um, But there's another place where the Ten Commandments are found. It's found in Deuteronomy 5. They're nearly um, identical. Now, um, the key word found in Deuteronomy 5 in our scripture reading, to be particular, is the word Sabbath. If you look in your Bible, you can see it there a couple times in our scripture reading. Um, The word that we read as Sabbath in our Bibles is the Hebrew word Shabbat. Shabbat. Um, Some of you know this. We've talked about this before. It simply means a period of time for rest. That's what a Shabbat is or Sabbath is. Um, For those of you that are seasoned Bible readers and you're like, come on, man, like give me more than that. Um, Here, I got something. See if you know this. Um, Shabbat 
is also, um, it was originally an agricultural word. So a Shabbat, and this is true in the scriptures as well, would sometimes refer to a plant that yields a crop without planting it or watering it or tending to it by a farmer. A plant that just sprouts up and then bears a crop all on its own, no work necessary. That's a Shabbat crop. It's kind of interesting. Now, for Old Testament people, Shabbat or Sabbath was way more than just simply a period of time of rest. Um, Shabbat was a special period of time for rest. For Jews in the Old Testament, and this is true of Jews today as well, um, Shabbat is a period of time of rest starting on Friday evening after the sun goes down to Saturday evening after the sun goes down. It's a 24-ish hour period of time. And all through that 24 hours of Shabbat, there are things that are done. Words are spoken. Candles are lit. Songs are sung. Food is eaten. Wine is drank. And it's all in celebration. Um, in fact, in some communities in Israel today, they've kind of developed their own traditions around what they do with Shabbat. Um, one of my professors in seminary lived in Israel for a while, and he experienced one of these interesting ways that one of these um, Jewish communities celebrated the Sabbath. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you this. Um, so what they do, pretty much every Jew does this, is they have this. This is a candle. They call it a Shabbat candle, a Sabbath candle. Lots and lots of Jews. If you're Jewish, you probably have one of these. And this one particular community, what they would do is they would wait for the sun to go down. The sun would slowly go down, and as it got near the horizon, the whole community would get up, they would grab their Shabbat candles, and they would walk out into a field outside of the compound, outside of their community, out into a field alone, and they would wait together as a community in this field, and they would wait, and they would watch the sun, and it would slowly descend and descend and descend over the horizon until the sun was finally gone. And then at a specific time, what this uh, community would do is they would all take their Shabbat candles and they would light them all at the same time. And when they would light them, they would sing and there'd be celebration. It was every single Friday of every single week. And what they would do is they would take the flame, which was really like the spirit of the Sabbath is how they talked about it. And they would all walk the flame, the spirit of the Sabbath, and they welcome the Sabbath back into their community, back into their homes, back into their lives, into their kitchens. The Sabbath was now going to be present with them. And it was a celebration, and there were songs that were sang. Jews in the scriptures and Jews today long for and celebrate Sabbath. They look forward to it each and every week. And, and it's interesting because today for most of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, um, I'm not sure we care most of us all that much about the Sabbath. In fact, some of us, either we don't know anything about the Sabbath at all because we've never practiced it, or there's others of us in the room, I'd be in this camp, where we grew up in a community that cared about the holy day, right? Sundays, the Sabbath day, and it was a really big deal, and it felt like the community and God and everyone around us was pushing the Sabbath thing down on us, right? Like, when I was a kid, one of my responsibilities was to mow the lawn each week, 
Um, and so I would wait till Sunday, the end of the very week for me to mow the lawn as far as I could until dad yelled at me. It's what I would do. And so I'd get the lawnmower out. And one of these days, I'm mowing the lawn on a Sunday. And I run out of gas in the lawnmower. And so I start pulling on the lawnmower, trying to get the lawnmower to work again. And my neighbor, he's an 80-year-old Dutchman, sees me across the road. And so he walks over, and I'm like, thank goodness, finally some help. Someone's going to help me with this lawnmower. And so this 80-year-old man walks across the street, puts his hand on my shoulder, and says, you know why you're having a trouble with your lawnmower today, don't you? And I said, well, no, I don't. He said, well, today's the Lord's day. Like, God is not happy with you for mowing your lawn today. Has anyone had an experience like this before? It's really exciting, isn't it? Some of us grew up in Christian homes where the Sabbath was a really big deal. And so you get to Sabbath, and for us it's Sundays, right? And it meant no TV, no going out to eat, no shopping, no working, no laughing, no crying, no breathing. Um, like nothing. You just sit there and try not to die. I don't know exactly what you do. Maybe you experience this. And so for many of us, Sabbath feels a bit oppressive for us. Like, oh, I'm not doing that. Why would I do a thing called Sabbath? And there's others of us who are like, I've never even practiced. I don't even know what Sabbath is. But it's important to know that the Sabbath was never viewed negatively by the people of God in the Bible, ever. It was always something to be longed for. It was a positive. It was an opportunity. It was a, finally, the Sabbath. The Sabbath's here, finally. People were excited for the moment that the Sabbath would come. I mean, even Jewish communities today, Jewish families, they'll sit around their kitchen table, and they'll have their Sabbath candle in the table, and they'll sit, and they'll look out the window, and they will wait for the sun to go down. And as the sun goes down, they will light the candle as a family, and they will sing songs together, and they will read scripture together, and eat meals together. And it's a joyous occasion. Even the kids enjoy it. It's crazy. Um, there's actually um, kids' Sabbath songs that are sung in many Jewish households. Um, I learned one of them. You want to hear it? It's two words. So if I screw this one up, I'm sorry. Um, the two words are Shabbat Shalom, which means Sabbath peace. And here's how it goes. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat, 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 Shalom. Can you hear the clapping? You want to add the clapping? Ready? Shabbat, Shalom. Shabbat, Shalom. Shabbat, 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 Shalom. You guys are amazing. I tried to join the worship team and they said no. So I don't know what that was all about. But Sabbath... Sabbath was this joyous occasion for even the kids. It was a thing that was longed for. It was yearned for. Now, in our scripture reading this morning, we get God's rationale for the Sabbath. If you read Exodus 20, you'll hear um, another reason for the Sabbath. But here, in Deuteronomy, you'll get um, the one that we're going to take a look at. And it's important to note that God's reasoning for the Sabbath is not to punish people. It's not to straddle people with difficulty. It's not to bore people to death. No, it's a positive thing. If you have your Bibles, um, turn to Deuteronomy 5, verses 15 a second. I'm going to read this for us. This is what Deuteronomy 5.15 says. It says, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. 
Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Remember that one time when you were in Egypt and I saved you. That's why you do the Sabbath. God says, remember, I'm commanding you to do this Sabbath thing because you need to be constantly reminded week after week after week of who you are. Remember when you were a slave in Egypt and how that changed for you. You had an identity shift there in that moment. I am commanding you to do the Sabbath thing, God says. Because if you don't, you will forget who you are. If you don't take Sabbath, you will forget. See, God reminds the Hebrew people in this passage that there was a time when they were slaves in Egypt. And it's important to remember that. Because slaves in Egypt did one thing. And they did one thing only in Egypt. They worked and they worked, and they worked, and they worked. They smashed rock. They farmed fields. They were caretakers of the elite in Egyptian society from sunup to sundown, day after day after day. No Saturdays, no Sundays. Every single day they woke up, and they headed to the quarry or the field or the home where they worked, and they worked, and the labor was difficult. The labor was backbreakingly hard. It was hard labor day after day after day. And you see, what God does in Deuteronomy, in our scripture passage, says so, something happens. See, there's something happen, that happens to us when we're slaves, and we work day after day after day after day after day after day. Something actually happens to us on the inside. You see, what we do often informs us of who we think we are. Think about that. What we do often informs us of who we think we are. If you are a slave all day long and that's what you do, you will begin to believe that your very identity is that of a slave. There's a reason that when people ask us about ourselves, we almost always respond with the things that we do. And the number one thing we respond with is the thing that we do for our job, right? I'm a pastor. I'm a dairyman. I'm a banker. I'm a warehouse guy. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I, that's what I do, so that's who I am. And there's other things too, right? It's not just work. I, I'm a wife or I'm a husband. I do this marriage thing. That's who I am. I, I'm a dad or a mom or a grandfather or a grandmother, an aunt or uncle. That, that's what I do. I do this family thing. Um, so, so that's who I am, right? We tend to believe I am what I do. Something about the hum human condition tells us I am what I do. We very quickly and easily begin to believe that we are first and foremost the things that we do in our lives in Egypt, as a slave, I wake up each morning, and it's dark, and I kiss my kids on the forehead before I head off to work, and I head to the quarry where my slave master is waiting for me, and I sit there all day long, and I break rock, and I break rock, and I break rock, and that is who I am. I am a slave in Egypt. And you see, God says, remember Remember when you were slaves in Egypt? Do you remember that? And remember when you were slaves in Egypt, and then I came, and then I freed you from your slavery in Egypt. Do you, do you remember that? And God says, your identity is no longer a slave in Egypt. That's no longer who you are. Your identity is different now. You are not all the things that you do. You, 
You're not a slave because that's the thing that you did. No, you're not that anymore. I freed you from that. Instead, you are, God says, what I have done for you, not what you have done for you. Now your identity is the people I freed from slavery. That's who you are. Your identity is contingent upon what God does, God says. Look, deep down, for each of us, it's so easy to believe the lie that we are what we do. Look, this might be a scoop. You are not your career. You're not. Some of you have actually learned this lesson the hard way, right? Where you retire and the career's gone and it sends you into an identity crisis, right? Uh, you are not your parenting. That's not who you are. That is not who you are. Some of you have actually learned that lesson the hard way too, haven't you? Where kids grow up and then they leave the home and it throws you into a tailspin because you don't know who you are anymore without that mom or dad badge. You are not your marriage. You're not. Some of you have learned that lesson the hard way too, right? Either through a divorce or a death or whatever it may be. You are not your hobbies. You are not your hurts that you carry with you in your life. You are not what others think about you. You are not what you think about you. Deep down, the core of who you are, God says, you are God's. That's who you are. You are God's. God has his fingerprints all over you. You are God's. That is your identity. You are what God has done in you and for you and on behalf of you. That is who you and I are. And frankly, it's so easy to lose sight of that, isn't it? It's difficult. We work and we work and we work and we shuffle the kids to here and here and here and we move on to vacation and we do this and this and this and we work on the house. We do all these things in life and it's so easy to fall into the trap of, oh, that must be who I am then. And God says, no. It's easy to lose sight of who we really are. See, this is why the Sabbath matters. This is why God instituted a Sabbath rest. Because there's something about stopping, taking your hands off the plow, looking up and remembering, oh yeah, I'm not that right there. I must be something else. I'm not the parent. I I'm not the worker. I'm not all the things that we try to label ourselves. That's not who we are. Sabbath reminds us of who we really are. See, that's why the Hebrew people for thousands of years have done weird things to celebrate the Sabbath. Like lighting candles and singing annoying kids songs, right? Because they're excited. Because, oh, the Sabbath is coming where I get to remember, oh, I'm God's. That's who I am. I'm not this anymore. And for the Jews, it was remembering, remember that time, God says, when, when I took you from your slavery and I freed you. Do you remember that? Do you remember that? And that became their identity. We're the freed people. God freed us from our slavery. But it's so much more for us today, isn't it? Do you know who you are? Deep down. You know, the Apostle Paul 
writes about this. He writes about who we really are. If you have your Bible, um, turn with me to Ephesians 2, starting in verse 4. It's a familiar passage. This is what Paul writes about our identity. He says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's that last line, folks. It is not us. It's not our doing. It's none of that. No, no, no. It's God's gift. It's, it's God's doing. We are saved by grace, and it is not us who do any of that. It's God's work in our lives. For the people of God in the Old Testament, oh, remember when you were a slave in Egypt and how I saved you. That's who they were, who we are, as we are the people that are with God. That's your identity. We are seated with God. Right now, God is with you. Right now, that's who you are. You are the God people. The people who God is with. We are the people that are with God today, right now, in this moment. And we are the people that get to be with God forever into the future. Forever and ever and ever. That is who we are. We are Messiah people, right? We're Jesus people. That's who we are. You know, what's really interesting. Um is Jews understand some, some different things about the Sabbath than we do. Um, one of the things they do is they have these rabbis from thousands of years ago um, that would teach and they would tell parables and tell stories and all that. And one rabbi thousands of years ago tells a story about the Sabbath. And I think it's really interesting what it says. I want to read this for you. Listen to this. This is rabbi talking, telling the story about the Sabbath. It's not true, but it's trying to say something. He says, when God was about to give the Torah to the Jewish people, God summoned the people and said to them, My children, I have something precious that I would like to give you for all time if you will accept my Torah and observe my commandments. The people then asked, Ruler of the universe, what is this precious gift that you have for us? And then God replied, It's the world to come, the messianic age. God said, the Shabbat, the Sabbath, is a sample of the world to come. For that world will be one long Shabbat. One long Sabbath. And so Jews, they do this Sabbath thing, hoping to get a taste of what this messianic age, this Messiah time looks like. And folks, today, because of Jesus, we're on the other side of that Messiah thing. And when we participate in the Sabbath, we get to participate in the world to come now when we take Sabbath. Sabbath gives you a new identity in Jesus. It reminds us of who we are. It's also a way to participate in what the future is going to look like. To participate in what heaven is going to look like. I guess the question is, do you have any intentional practice of Sabbath in your life right now? Do you? Is it a priority on the list at all? Or, or maybe life is just too busy, right? 
the pace is too fast. There are too many errands. There are too many hours to work. There are too many kids to deal with. Life is just too hectic for me to take a Sabbath. Maybe that's where you're at. You know, for me, um, our staff takes Fridays off each week. Our ministry staff does. And what I've begun to do is use my Friday as my Sabbath. I don't work. I try not to. I don't email. I do a lot of nothing, therapeutic things, prayer things, being with God things. And it's been everything for me. If I don't get my Friday, man, I forget. I start to believe that I am what I do. Oh, I, I'm just the pastor. I'm a pastor. That's, that's my identity. On Fridays, I'm just John. And I'm with God. And that's it. What are you doing to practice Sabbath? And if you're like, man, it's too busy. I can't do this right now. What is not practicing Sabbath doing to us? What's it doing for you? I don't know. Practice Sabbath. You know, uh, tomorrow's Labor Day, as we've mentioned a gazillion times now. What if we just shelved the Labor Day thing tomorrow and we said, you know what, tomorrow, tomorrow I'm going to do the Sabbath thing. It doesn't mean we need to get super spiritual. Um, I'm just going to rest. I'm going to remember that, oh, I'm not what I do. I'm what God said I am. That's right. What if you did that tomorrow? How would that change your week? Let's pray. God, oftentimes when we come to your word and we run by commandments like the Ten Commandments or any of the other ones, God. Um, it just feels like rules that you want us to follow because you want us to follow them, God. But it's so obvious that each and every commandment that you give us is for us. It's not for you. It's for what a good life lived is like, God. And we recognize that in, in our lives, we just move so fast. And we often never find space to truly stop. And so God, um, give us Sabbath. Give us the space in our calendars. Give us the space in our daily agendas, God, to just turn it off for a while. And God, when we do, remind us. Remind us that we're yours. We thank you for Jesus and we thank you for the cross that you gave us a new identity in that moment, God. Help us to remember. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord raise his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen, church.